Should you grow your own chili? Well, I say you should. Michael Swickert here. Welcome to Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Our award-winning Hatch Green and Red Chili, boy, is it good. It's from locally owned farms in Hatch, New Mexico, the chili capital of the world. I'm glad you could join me today for a podcast about the history and culture of New Mexico with an emphasis on agriculture, since at least three times a day, I use New Mexico agriculture. It's called breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I also have a fresh chili company snack between meals often. So thanks, agriculture. The other day, I was asked about growing your own chili peppers. I immediately replied that it is a great thing to do. I think the person was expecting me to say, oh, no, don't grow your own. Just buy it from the Fresh Chili Company. I don't think there's any problem with doing that. But, no, I think it's a great thing when you grow your own garden. It's a great thing to teach your children, too. However, I guess you knew there was going to be a however. Okay, here it is. However, what I've found over the many years is that growing my chili peppers is a summer and fall activity and not a year's worth unless you have a heated greenhouse for the winter months. Now, chili peppers are an integral part of my cooking. It's a 12-month, 365-day-a-year venture for me. Well, except for this year when you've got a leap year, so it's a 366-day of eating chili peppers a couple of meals a day. And you have to remember you're also feeding more than just yourself. So how much chili do you need? Well, I grow my own tomatoes and my own garden stuff, but by November and the first freeze, I'm down to the grocery store getting resupplied. Same with chili peppers. And it's a great thing to have your own produce, but in my pantry, I have Big Jim Red and Green Blend. It's my go-to on cheeseburgers. Now, the truth be known, I grew up as a young adult every year going out at the right time in August to a farm and buying what was usually Big Jim. That's what I liked and have liked all of my life. And they would roast it right there. And we'd put it in a couple of plastic sacks and put it in a cooler to bring it back to the house. You let it set for a couple hours. It seemed to help it. And then you started cleaning it. Don't touch your eyes while you're cleaning the chili. Um, And I spent the rest of the day cleaning the pods, cutting them up into freezer bags, putting them in my freezer. Now, before I started working for the Fresh Chili Company a year and a half ago, so it was probably five or six years ago, I stopped putting chili in the freezer because I could buy the chili. I have always liked being able to buy the chili and that to this day I enjoy. So my freezer is for beef and pecans and my pantry is for jars of chili that I use. Another issue, and this sounds like kind of, I I don't know you, I I make a special chili pepper and onion and hash brown dish that my friends know about. It's about my 40th year of cooking what I call the gonzo. No, I don't remember why I named it the gonzo. It's lost in the cobwebs of time. My friends have eaten the gonzo for most of those years, and it was about a decade ago that my chili that I had frozen didn't have the usual taste, and everyone pointed that out to me that my gonzo, it was okay, but it wasn't my gonzo since it didn't have the correct chili taste. 
Uh, that's what causes me to use jars of chili since they are consistently the same taste and heat. If I grew my own, I wouldn't know for sure what the chili taste would be. And I know I'm going to get inundated with gonzo questions. And I'm telling you, it really is good. So I'm going to put it on the, on the fresh uh, chili Facebook, uh, the menu there. But uh, here's how you do it. You very thinly, crisply fry hash browns. Get, get them thin there and get them crispy. Set them aside and then fry some onions with your chili, adding a couple of spices like garlic if you want. And in a casserole dish, you layer the hash browns, the onions, the chili, and your choice of a cheese. And I use a medium heat chili, so it's got some kick but doesn't burn any newbies down. You make four layers and you bake at 300 degrees for 30 minutes. Now, the one thing I can tell you, I really mean this, make plenty of it because it really goes fast. Michael Swicker here with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company. Hit subscribe if you want to automatically get these podcasts. Let's do some New Mexico history. At this time, 162 years ago in southern New Mexico, there was the Battle of Valverde, or as it was known, Valverde Ford Battle. The year was 1862, and the Civil War had come to the territory of New Mexico. At the very north end of Elephant Butte Lake are the ruins of Fort Craig, which in 1862 was the largest Union fort in the territory of New Mexico. It had about 2,500 soldiers normally there. At times it would get up into the 3,3800 range. The fort had high walls and then what was called Quaker guns. Never heard of Quaker guns? Well, they had real cannons at the fort, but they had a lot more of these fake wooden cannons. That's what was called a Quaker cannon. But the, but the attackers outside, the soldiers outside the fort, didn't know what this was and saw all those cannons and went, yikes, we can't attack this fort. The Confederate forces under the command of Brigadier General Henry Hopkins Sibley had invaded New Mexico and pushed all of the Union forces out of the Mesilla Valley and the Las Cruces area. And this group was headed north to conquer New Mexico and then take over Colorado. At least that was the plan. Didn't happen. But the largest battle of the Civil War in the West, the Battle of Valverde, happened at this time in 1862. The Union forces were under the command of Colonel Edward Canby, and at that moment, even though they normally had 2,500 uh, at Fort Craig, they had 3,800 soldiers. But the problem was all but maybe 1,000 were unseasoned volunteers standing around with their own guns and their own uniforms. Kit Carson was in command of some of the New Mexico soldiers, and he was a very good commander. In a several-day engagement, there were a couple hundred casualties on both sides, and technically it was a draw, but the Union forces could not be dislodged from Fort Craig, and the Confederates, while they were a bit more skillful, they, had, they held the field, and what stopped a lot of it was they had to get to the Rio Grande River because they were out of water, so they fought a little harder. Uh, the Confederates, who were volunteers also, were armed with shotguns, which meant that they peppered the Union soldiers 
and left small wounds. Now, I have the data. I could continue talking about it, but let me tell you about a book that's still in print. It's the personal journal of Sergeant A.B. Petticolas, who was one of the Confederate volunteers. The name of the book is Rebels on the Rio Grande, the Civil War Journal of A.B. Petticolas. It was compiled by Dr. Don Alberts. It's available in most bookstores. I've had it for many years, and I've read it a couple of times. It, it gives you a day-to-day -day look at the largest battle in the west of the United States and the invasion of New Mexico. After a hard day of traveling and fighting, Petticolas uh, wrote in his journal, and it is a great book. Now, continuing with the history of New Mexico, with the invasion of the Confederates, the Union supporters in California, which was a state, they volunteered to fight. But they were, along, they were 800, 900 miles away. Colonel James Henry Carlton brought a force of soldiers called the California Column. It was both infantry and cavalry, brought them to southern New Mexico. And unlike a Hollywood movie, this force moved very slowly so as not to use up the wells and springs with everybody arriving at once. The Confederates were soundly defeated at the Battle of Glorieta, that's near Santa Fe, and had to rapidly retreat to El Paso, and they were gone before the California Column arrived in southern New Mexico in Mesilla. The interesting effect which was not expected. Now reason with me here to, to understand how this Civil War battle and the California Column coming to New Mexico made a profound change in New Mexico. You see, the Union volunteers of the California Column were mostly, what were they? They were gold miners. On the way to New Mexico, their trained eyes kept noticing the evidence of gold and silver. So as soon as they were able to leave the military, they went back to their trade of gold mining, and they found a treasure trove of gold and silver in New Mexico. And that's how the mining industry really started in New Mexico. Michael Swickert here with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico. You can hit subscribe to automatically get these podcasts. Let's do a little more New Mexico history. As the military was ramping up to get into World War I, it was then called the Great War, what is now New Mexico State University was selected to do something very much needed in a modern military. The military desperately needed to be able to communicate. They needed communication specialists trained in the use of radios and receivers. This way, the military leaders could instantly communicate with the soldiers in the field. So the small college in southern New Mexico became the place to train 15,000 radio operators. But you should know there was not the ability to transmit the human voice. They still needed some way to communicate back to front in the battles. The way that they found was they could use the dots and dashes of Morse code. And America had been transmitting for many decades on telegraph lines. That's what they were going to use. And so they needed thousands upon thousands of telegraph-trained communication specialists, and they needed them quickly. The effort under the direction of Ralph Willis Goddard, who was the electrical engineering professor, 
rapidly set up the classes and all the equipment so that the troops going to France would have those communication specialists. And it was, it was quite a thing to make uh, New Mexico State University uh, uh, center place for a lot of people headed to war. They came to Las Cruces first. Now, Ralph Willis Goddard, by the way, is celebrated every day on the campus of New Mexico State University. How's that, Michael? Well, he's celebrated both with the building Goddard Hall and with the broadcast radio and television stations. You see, the call letters are KRWG-FM, KRWG-Television. The RWG stands for Ralph Willis Goddard. On these podcasts, you can find the stories of the two Goddards in New Mexico. You know, there's Ralph Goddard and there's Robert Goddard. Both at the same time, uh, they came from the town of Worcester, Massachusetts. And if you go to our, these podcasts, you can see their stories. Just so you know, there's officially the New Mexico Certified Chili. I've had people talk about it. There's a trademark certification that you now see. Yeah, some chili growers in other places in trying to sell their crops of chili have been trying to tell people that these were New Mexico grown, but they don't have the certification trademark that lets you know you're getting the real thing. Those out-of-state companies do not have that trademark, so look for the New Mexico certified chili. It's a trademark seal, and if it's not there, Ask about it. Uh, New Mexico businesses want to support New Mexico Chile, and I'm sure they'll thank you for asking. Buy New Mexico Chile. These podcasts are sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company. They have a great website showing all of their chili available in 16-ounce jars. and You can go to the freshchilico.com, freshchilico.com. That's also where you can go to get more podcasts. There's also a large Facebook group sharing chili recipes. Now that is something really to enjoy with over 28,000 members in the Fresh Chili Cooking Facebook group. You can join that too. It's a closed group. You just ask. And uh, I even added a tasty treat once. And early on in this podcast, I mentioned my gonzo, uh, green chili, hash brown, onion, and and cheese creation. I'm going to put that on... Uh, the Facebook page. This is Michael Swickard with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, brought to you by the Fresh Chili Company. Thank you for your time today. We'll always have lots of news and stories about New Mexico on these podcasts. If you have something or someone you would like me to talk about, write to me, Michael at FreshChiliCo.com, Michael at FreshChiliCo.com. Have a great rest of your day. Oh, yes, and eat plenty of that good Hatch Valley chili. Like I always say, some chili's good, more is better, as long as it's Hatch Valley chili. Bye for now.